The last several weeks, we have been tracing the work of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout the Old and New Testament, and we ended last Sunday looking at the Spirit's work throughout the book of Acts, how the Spirit uh, guided and empowered people in the early church. Uh, today, we're going to transition to looking primarily at the epistles, um, and so we're going to be focusing on uh, what would be considered maybe the more practical ramifications uh, of the Spirit's presence in our lives, uh, looking at the relationship that we as New Testament believers have with the Holy Spirit, uh, how each of us as Christians should be thinking about the Spirit's work in our own individual lives. And this will go uh, starting this week, and then we'll go into bleed into next week, and that'll be uh, our last two uh, lectures on the Holy Spirit. I want to begin by going back to John 14, and we're going to see what Jesus said about the coming uh, Spirit and what the relationship of the Holy Spirit would be with the disciples. Uh, we've looked at these verses before, but I want to key in on a, a word I kind of skimmed over in, in, previously. John 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, again, we've said before, this is not uh, talking about us. This is talking about the apostles, uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to guide them as they write Scripture. And so he's teaching them. He's bringing to remembrance the things Jesus said throughout his earthly ministry. Um, and so this is uh, talking about the inspiration of the Spirit uh, in and through those apostles. But notice uh, the, the uh, title that the Holy Spirit is given there at the beginning of the verse, the Helper. Okay, the Helper. Uh, John 15, 26, again, uh, just the next chapter, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit twice there is called the Helper. Um, and obviously, <clears throat> in the context, Jesus is talking about the Spirit coming to the disciples. So it would be assumed that it's their Helper. Uh, and so this word, Helper, is the Greek word paraclete. Uh, para meaning alongside, parallel lines. We still use para in that, in that way in English. And so the Spirit is the one who, kaleo just means to call. So paraclete, someone that is called alongside. In, in that culture, it would be referring to uh, like a family attorney or something. So if you had some sort of civil case, your family would call the family lawyer, lawyer to come to your side and help you uh, and assist in that. But uh, the Holy Spirit as our paraclete means he's the one that walks through us, uh, sorry, walks through us, walks through life with us. He is our helper, he is our advocate, he is the one that comes alongside and helps us. R.C. Sproul put it this way, he said, the empowerment to live the life that Christ has called us to live <clears throat> comes to us by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's presence in our lives is to help us to live the Christian life that God has called us to. And uh, we'll see this week and next week how that flushes out in the New Testament. But just keep in mind as we go through this that the Holy Spirit uh, is our helper. He is our paraclete. He is the one who comes alongside uh, to help us and assist us, giving us guidance, giving us empowerment, and giving us uh, gifts of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, before we get into those specific ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us, I want to establish just a few foundational points in the New Testament because these are some things that are different than what we've seen in the Old Testament and even in the book of Acts. Okay, so now we're into the New Covenant. Uh, first point, kind of foundational point, all Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, in the Old Testament, of course, that was not true. You had specific people that God set His Spirit on. Um, in the New Covenant now, all Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. John 7, 39, Jesus said, uh, I'm sorry, now this He said about the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not, was not yet glorified. So this is referring to the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. But notice, all of those who believed in him were going to receive the Spirit. Not just key leaders, not just those appointed over specific tasks. Uh, all true believers in Christ, all of his disciples, would receive the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4.6, Paul said, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Okay, so if you are a child of God then God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart because you are sons. So if you don't have the Spirit, uh, then you aren't a son of God. All true Christians have the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives. Uh, John, 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Uh, throughout the book of 1 John, John gives us proofs of how you can know that you have eternal life. You know that's the whole point of the book of 1 John. And one of those evidences, according to 1 John 4.13, is that you have the Holy Spirit. And so if, if the Holy Spirit is present in your life, then you know that you are in Christ and He is in you. Uh, one more text on this point, Romans 8. Uh, and this really seems to be the kind of the... Uh, an open and shut case if you just look at Romans 8 as to whether all Christians are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, beginning verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ, from, uh, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, uh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, uh, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so uh, throughout those verses, it seems very apparent to me that you have uh, some who have the Spirit, those are true followers of Christ, and others that are not uh, true children of God and they do not have the Spirit. It seems to be very black and white. Uh, second point, not only do all Christians have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but they, do so, they have the Spirit for the duration of their life. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you saw people like Saul, uh, where the Holy Spirit came on him at a time and then left him later in his life. Um, that is not the case for New Testament Christians. You remember in Psalm 51, when, when uh, David prays, God, please don't take your spirit from me after his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, we as New Testament Christians do not have to pray that. We, he will not take the spirit from us. From the moment of conversion... To the end of your life, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 11, Paul says, In him we have obtained an, inher an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the moment you heard the word, the gospel, and you believed it, as soon as you received uh, the, the truth of the gospel, you were then sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14. And the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. 
All right. Uh, what he's talking about there as far as acquiring possession of it is referring to the final resurrection, our glorified state. Of course, we are not finally saved yet. Uh, we are saved in the sense that God has declared us righteous, forgiven our sins, but we still struggle with sin. Um, when we reach eternity and we're given a glorified body never to sin again, that's when our salvation is complete, if you will. So there's a sense in which we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And so he's saying uh, that the Holy Spirit, he sealed you at the moment of conversion, okay, and he is the guarantee of that future resurrection until the moment when you acquire possession of it, meaning throughout the duration of your life, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. From the moment of conversion to Christ until the end of your life, the Spirit will never leave you. He is there by your side forever. Uh, next layer of foundation, this kind of builds on what we just said, is that the Holy Spirit is the seal or the guarantee of our salvation. Okay? Um, uh, we talked about kind of, I've already hinted at what that means, that as a guarantee of the future resurrection, uh, in other words, we know that we are in Christ, we know that we are a part of His kingdom because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is like a security deposit of our salvation. His presence now guarantees that we are going to be in the presence of God eternally. Uh, Paul makes this argument in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. He says, For we know that if the tent, that is our heavenly home, is destroyed, speaking of our, our physical body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing, to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not uh, be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this th very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay, so there he's been talking about how we're, we're, we're in these... Um, weak, physical, mortal bodies, and we're groaning, we're looking forward to the day when we have our glorified bodies, and the Spirit of God has been given to us as a guarantee of that final resurrection. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Uh, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Okay, so all Christians have the Spirit of God walking with them through their life as their helper, as their paraclete. He never leaves us. And he is the guarantee that we are among those who will be with God forever in the new heavens and new earth. And how would that be a guarantee of anything if the Spirit could leave us? Right? If we could have the Holy Spirit leave us at some point in our life, then how would, that, how would his presence provide any assurance uh, if he could just abandon us at some time? And so the whole argument that Paul makes here in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and in Ephesians about the Holy Spirit being the guarantee, uh, our, our, um, our guarantee of a future resurrection, that whole argument is premised upon the fact that the Spirit's presence is permanent in our lives as New Testament Christians. Okay, so those are basically differences between how things worked uh, prior to Jesus and Pentecost and how things work now in the New Age. Uh, as Christians... All of us are given the Holy Spirit, not just key people. All of us have the Spirit uh, permanently. It is not just a, a temporary reality. And he's the guarantee of our future resurrection with Christ. Any questions on any of those things? Oh, that's kind of foundational to where we're going here. Um, so now we'll talk more specifically about the ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us. So we've said already that the Spirit is our paraclete, our helper. Uh, how does he help us? to live as Christians. And the first category that we're going to consider is spiritual gifts. Uh, these are the abilities or talents or skills, whatever you want to call them, that the Spirit gives 
each Christian to serve through the church. And before we go uh, through these passages on the subject, it should be pointed out that these gifts are not given to you. Uh, they are given through you. These gifts are, are the Holy Spirit's gifts to each church given through the members. As our statement of faith says, uh, the Holy Spirit adds each believer into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation, and he imparts believers with spiritual gifts for them to serve God through his church. Okay, so each believer is given gifts by the Spirit for use in and through the church. Uh, the most extensive text on this would be 1 Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible, please turn there. I do want to point out a few things that would be easier for you to see in your own Bible than on the screen. First Corinthians chapter number 12. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 4 and read through much of the chapter. First uh, Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 are the two texts on spiritual gifts. We're going to look at Romans 12 in a moment, but if you want a memory aid, that's an easy way to remember. It's First Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Uh, but here we are, First Corinthians 12, <clears throat> beginning in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so the first thing to notice there is that these gifts are given to every Christian. Notice verse 7, to each is given this manifestation of the Spirit, talking about these spiritual gifts uh, that are given. Okay, so all Christians are given spiritual gifts. Again, these gifts are given for use in the church. Uh, notice also in those verses that these gifts differ. They're not all the same gifts. Each member has unique gifting uh, that is meant to complement each other. All right, verse 8. <clears throat> to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to, to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who, appors who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All right, so whatever gifts you have to serve the church with, those are empowered uh, by the Holy Spirit, and it is the Spirit who decides who gets which gifts. He's the one who distributes those gifts or apportions those gifts to each member. All right, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Okay, one of the reasons I wanted you to turn here is to see this is a very good text on the deity of the Spirit. Uh, notice in verse 6 that Paul says that God empowers these gifts in each of us. Right? It's the same God who empowers these in each one of us. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered by the one and same Spirit. Okay, so if God empowers them and the Spirit empowers them, that would be a proof of the Spirit's deity. Also, 
<clears throat> Notice verse 11 says that the Spirit gives these gifts to each member as he chooses. Verse 18 says that God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. Okay, so you see that God and the Spirit are being used interchangeably throughout this text. Um, now, Paul's point in those verses we just read is that we should not be envious of one another's gifts. Whatever gifts God has given you, he knows what the church needs, and he knows that you're going to be a part of this church, and he knows uh, what, what it is that each, each person's gifting needs to be for the uh, building up of the body of Christ. And so we ought to trust in, in God and in his gifting in us. Uh, we have to trust that he made the right choice. We shouldn't be jealous of other people's gifts. We should be focusing on using the ones that God has given to us. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, <clears throat> I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So, you know, the first part is saying, don't be jealous of other people's gifts. Don't think you're not important because you don't have the gifts of somebody else. And then this is saying, uh, kind of the reverse of that, don't look down on somebody as though you have the important gifts and theirs are just not a big deal. I don't really need them. Uh, on the contrary, verse 22, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. On our uh, unpresentable parts, we are treated with greater modesty, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ <clears throat> and individually members of it. And here we get to more of the, the list of giftings. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So those are some of the gifts that Paul is talking about throughout this chapter. Uh, these have been, I think, helpfully categorized as speaking gifts and serving gifts. Um, so prophets, teaching, speaking in tongues, those types of things would be, um, I'm sorry, prophets, teaching, yeah, th those would be more of the speaking gifts. And then things like administering um, and other things that are mentioned in Romans, which we'll get to, would be some of the more serving gifts. And so rather than trying to figure out exactly which gift you have on the list, I think it's helpful to think more broadly, do you have gifts in teaching or do you have gifts in serving? Uh, regardless of your individual gifting, though, the motivation for all of it should be the same. A little further down in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Paul is continuing to talk about these gifts, and he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, uh, strive to excel in building up the church. So whatever gifts you have, seek to use them to build up the church. It's not about you, it's not about me. Uh, if you want a position in the church for selfish reasons, you've completely missed the point. Your gifts are given to you to be used as the church has need of them. And we all ought to be thinking of uh, what gifts we have, how we can grow in those gifts, and how they might be beneficial to the other believers in the church. That should always be our motivation in service. Uh, one more quick note on this, something I mentioned, I think, in the past. I don't take 1 Corinthians 12 to be an exhaustive list of gifts. Um, I know there are some gifts here that are mentioned specifically. I think these are, are simply examples of some of the gifts of the Spirit. One reason I think that is because there's a similar list in Romans 12, and it's not identical. And so if these were these spiritual gifts, you would think that the list would be the same in Romans as it is in 1 Corinthians. But in Romans 12, uh, Paul says, 
For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of, uh, sorry, one of another. You see he's making the same argument there. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Well, that list is very different than the list we just saw in 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, nowhere in here is mention of speaking in tongues. Nowhere in here is mention of apostleship or uh, any of those things. But you do have mentions of uh, uh, giving, contributing as a spiritual gift. You have mentions of doing acts of mercy, uh, exhorting or encouraging. Those are our spiritual gifts. And so these lists are very different. Uh, Paul mentions here in this list that there are some people the Holy Spirit has gifted, apparently, to make money and to give it to the church. Uh, that's why you see there in verse 8, the one who contributes, let him do it in generosity. Okay, that would be a spiritual gift. Again, we don't think of that as spiritual. We think spiritual gift, that means teaching, that means preaching, that means singing a special or something. Uh, not something um, normal, maybe. But no, God looks at these, even what we would consider to be normal tasks, as being gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, some people have the gift of exhortation or encouragement. Uh, by the way, guess what that word is in Greek? Exhortation, encouragement, parakletos. The very same word used of the Holy Spirit, that he is our helper. And so in other words, the Spirit gifts some people in the church to be helpers, just like he is our helper. Uh, some people are gifted to come alongside others and assist them. And so these, these lists in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, I don't believe are exhausted. These are simply examples of gifts that he is uh, giving us to understand kind of what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, of course, we saw Bezalel was, and, and Ohaliab were gifted by the Holy Spirit to work in gold and silver and wood uh, in order to craft things for the tabernacle. So spiritual gifts, in my opinion, are basically anything that God has given you inclinations for that can be used in the service of the church. Uh, this could be preaching the Bible or this could be fixing plumbing, okay, and everything in between. If, it, if it's useful to help the body of Christ, uh, I do believe that those are uh, gifts that ought to be used and that the Spirit gives each, each of us uh, gifts like that. All right, I got a couple other things here. Any questions on spiritual gifts before we move on here? Okay, we talked about speaking in tongues on Wednesday, so I hope we got, <laughs> we, we've moved past the, the more controversial things. Um, because there's, you know, obviously there's debate as to whether all of those gifts continue to today or whether they don't. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not super dogmatic about it either way. I've never spoken in tongues. I've never met anybody who's spoken in tongues, so it's just not a big deal to me. Uh, but if, if other people claim to have, great. I'm not going to argue with you about it. So, um, all right. Next two points here about gifts of the Spirit, ways in which the Spirit empowers us and helps us. Uh, next one would be empowerment for evangelism. This is something I think we see throughout the book of Acts as you see the explosion of the church. We saw it a little bit when we looked at Peter, uh, how he went from cowering in fear toward the end of Matthew to boldly proclaiming the gospel in Acts. And we said that the difference there is the Holy Spirit's filling in him. Um, and this is consistent with what we see throughout the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit, one of the main reasons, I, I believe, that the Holy Spirit has been given to each one of us. Let me back up. So in the Old Testament, we saw that the Spirit was given to key people connected to specific tasks. 
right? Uh, people that were leaders, people that were supposed to be prophets, or people that were supposed to craft things in the tabernacle, whatever. Um, God chose specific people that he had appointed over a specific job, and he gave them the Holy Spirit's filling to help them carry out that task, okay? I believe that, that in the New Testament, we are given the Holy Spirit for the same reason. And the reason it's given indiscriminately to all of us is because all of us have tasks. All of us have um, specific roles that we are to play, okay? Number one is what we just saw, spiritual gifts in the church, okay? It's no longer, you know, in Israel, Moses was the leader. Uh, maybe the 70 elders were the leaders, the other just followed. No, in the church, uh, according to Paul, all of the members have a role to play. Uh, no one is just a, a sitter in the pew. That's no one's spiritual gifts. Everybody has a role to play in the church. And so the Spirit is given to all of us to help us carry out whatever tasks it is that He's uh, gifted us with. Connected also to that is evangelism. All of us as Christians are to be spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has been uh, given to each of us to empower us for that task. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus speaking to the disciples, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice you'll receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and it's the empowerment to go be a witness for Christ uh, to the ends of the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, Paul says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So he's saying when we came to Thessalonica and we preached the gospel of Jesus to you, uh, it wasn't just words, it came in the power and in the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was empowering Paul as he gave the gospel to them. 1 Peter 1.12 It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay, so those would be three texts about how uh, the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us as we preach the gospel. And I believe that refers to, as I mentioned a little bit on Wednesday, I think, um, not only boldness to speak for Christ, but also direction, words to say. Uh, right? Jesus says in Luke, for instance, to the apostles, when you're on trial uh, before the synagogues or before leaders, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to answer. The Holy Spirit's going to give you those words. And I, I believe that that carries true into our time as well. Uh, that as we give the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives us the courage, the boldness to do so, but also guides us and directs us uh, as we preach. And then also notice um, in, I guess it was the previous verse, about how the, how con the conviction of the Holy Spirit accompanies um, the spreading of the gospel. So not only does he help us as we give the gospel, Right? But the Holy Spirit convicts the person on the other side who's listening to us. Um, and so they're brought to Christ uh, because of the Holy Spirit's work. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us for service in the church through our spiritual gifts. He also empowers us for evangelism. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit illuminates God's Word. Okay, We looked at um, John 14 before, and I told you that text is often, I believe, misused. Uh, to say that the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things, bring all things to remembrance. And I've heard people say, you know, when you, uh, you're in a situation and the Holy Spirit just gives you a Bible verse that, that you don't even remember, it just came to your mind, that's the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what it's talking about in John. Uh, because that is talking specifically to the 12 apostles saying that the Holy Spirit is going to inspire you to write Scripture. And he says not um, that he's going to bring to your remembrance the things in the Bible, 
But he says, he's going to bring to remembrance the things that I've said to you, talking about during his life on earth, right? When Matthew and John and these apostles were writing gospel accounts of Jesus, they were doing so as the Holy Spirit was reminding them of things that Jesus had said and done throughout his earthly ministry. So John 14, I believe, is talking to the apostles, not to all Christians. However, I do believe that the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word, and I would point to 1 Corinthians 2 as proof of that. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, Paul says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, so the Spirit of God gives us understanding in those things that have been freely given. He's been talking about how uh, nobody can see the depths of God's mind except the Holy Spirit. Right? Nobody can fully, you know, Augustine said, if I could fully understand him, he wouldn't be God. Okay, but there are things that have been freely given to us, and I believe he's talking there about in Scripture. Uh, the things that, that the Holy Spirit has given to us, revealed to us in the Bible, uh, those the Holy Spirit then comes and helps us to understand. Verse 13, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, meaning the unsaved person without the Spirit of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not even able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so the unsaved person is not able to understand things in Scripture because uh, these require spiritual discernment. And so the Spirit of God, as our helper, uh, comes and gives us insight into Scripture, which, of course, he wrote to begin with. Uh, it's like having the author of the book explain to you parts of the book that you may not understand immediately. And I believe that all Christians have this illuminating uh, work of the Spirit, though my hunch is from Scripture, this is also a part of what it means um, to be gifted to teach. You know, in um, Paul's letters, when he talks about appointing elders in the church, he says, make sure they're apt to teach. Uh, they have, and also in the spiritual gifting lists and both lists, teaching is uh, a part of spiritual gifts in the church. And so I believe, obviously, if you can't uh, discern the meaning of Scripture well, you're not going to teach well. And so I would think that that would be part of what it means to be gifted to teach. Those teaching gifts mentioned in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 would consist at least partly in being able to understand Scripture as well as to communicate it clearly. Okay, um, next week we're going to talk more about how the Spirit helps us, what it means to be led by the Spirit versus uh, grieving or quenching the Spirit, and uh, really what the main role of the Spirit is in our lives as our helper, which is our sanctification. Uh, the fruits of the Spirit, of course, we'll get into some of those, and how the Spirit makes us more like Christ. That'll all be next week. That'll be our last week uh, studying the Holy Spirit, and then we will move on to creation.